Hello and welcome to Meet the Stars, the podcast where each week I, Luke Anthony, delve deeper into the career, life and mental health of the stars. This week I'm joined by well-known American Roots singer-songwriter Grant Malloy Smith. His latest album, Dust Bowl American Stories, spent 17 weeks in the Billboard charts including 11 weeks in the top 10. He's the co-founder of the Indie Collaborative, who have teamed up with Star Events Online to put together a virtual Christmas music festival. If you'd like to attend any of our live online events, follow us on social media or find out more about this week's guest, all of that information can be found in the description. But for now, please welcome to the show, Grant Malloy-Smith. Grant, I really appreciate your time. Welcome to Meet the Stars podcast. I guess firstly, the place to start is is really how you first came to love music. Well, that's a great question. Um, I was probably four or five years old. I was a little kid living in the southeast of America in, in northern Florida, right up near Alabama. In fact, it's that little strip of Florida that sticks out uh, not the peninsula part that everyone's familiar with, but that little part that sticks out below Alabama. It's only about 30 miles high, you know, from top to bottom. And anyway, my grandmother and her mother were from eastern Kentucky, which is in American Appalachia, which is where a lot of this rootsy music, where it's really where all of it came from, you know, the old bluegrass stuff. And before that, it was called mountain music. And then it, over the century or two, it evolved into country music, and etc. And the kind of music I do today called American Roots, but she, my grandmother played me that music over and over and over again. And I was just a kid and I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand it. And also there was rock and roll out there, which all my friends liked. And so I liked that too, you know, and uh, so I, I got influenced by both of them, both of this old, old style mountain music that my, that my Grammy liked and my mother liked, and then all the rock and roll that the whole world liked like people that came from your neck of the woods called the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all. all yeah, they're, they're quite well known, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they, I, they got they did pretty well, I think, in their careers. <laughs> they had a yeah. couple of hits along the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I had I was a pretty big fan, even though I was only like four or five years old. I mean, I had a Beatles birthday party with a Beatles birthday cake and, you know, the whole thing. I had a little yeah. Beatles fake guitar that I thought I knew how to play. But, of course, it was just a piece of balsa wood. And, so you knew I, who they were. <laughs> I wanted to be in the Beatles and they weren't they weren't auditioning any any five year olds from Florida. So uh, I guess I didn't I didn't make that audition. But those two influences, the, the mountain music from America, uh, which, of course, originally came from, again, from British Isles. I mean, my ancestors were, were from Scotland and England and Ireland. They all came over mostly in the 1700s and uh, they brought their folk music with them and then it hit America and and it became our folk music too and it changed like all music does where even if it stays in the same place music changes and evolves um, but uh, boy I just that that was a big influence for me and it's it's been one since the beginning when I was a young man like in my 20s I was doing rock and roll and jumping around like an idiot you know with spandex pants on electric guitars <laughs> long hair hanging down. I did all that whole stuff too when I was younger. You know, and then I got older and and I kind of fell back in love with my original uh, American Roots music. Was that nostalgia and a love for your your grandma? I think it was also yeah, it was all that and also just kind of realism. 
you know, if you don't get to be a big rock and roll star by the time you're 25, you're probably not going to be one. And you better stick to a kind of music that is more becoming of someone who's not 25 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> Plus, I liked it more. I, I was kind of worn out of pop and rock music. I wanted to do music that where you could express a wider range of emotion. Um, and you can more so. In, I think what I do is American Roots, which is kind of a mix up of bluegrass and country and folk music and you know, all, all that, all those rootsy forms of music. If it doesn't fit into one of those clear categories, we call it American Roots uh, or yeah. Americana. Um, I, I felt like, and I'd still do, that I can, there's there's no end to it for me. With rock and roll, there would definitely be an end where I would be just, I was kind of bored with it, and, and I don't think I'll ever get bored. I don't think I'll live long enough to get bored with American Roots music. And I, th- I think that that's also because with, it could prove, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... You hear the words that are being sang in American roots music more so than you do in rock and roll. Like you yes. say, you alluded to earlier, with like rock and roll is a lot of it's about jumping around and being entertaining on side on mm-hmm. on stage. But with but with like Amer- American roots music and and folk music and country music, you really hear like the authenticity of that voice and and also the lyrics behind that person singing to you. Yeah, very true, very true. So it's it's just it can be deeper. Not that you can't do deep, you know, rock music. You many people certainly have, but I don't know. Just for me, it seemed like the right thing to do, the right the right path to go down. Were your family particularly happy to for you to take that route early on? Well, yes and no. Um, my mother was. She was more a creative type, more so than my dad, who who appreciated art like that, but he wasn't really that creative himself. He was a very, very good at other things. My mother was. My dad wasn't so much. Later later he was, years later. And uh, it, But, you know, I think when it's a passion, it's something you have to do. Your parents understand that you have to do it, even though it might seem like an idiotic idea at the time. Um, and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But, you know, it wasn't like I was going to jump off the end of the world or something. (laughs) And I got a regular job to support myself in music because it's very hard to make a living in music. And and this year, it's almost impossible. I I mean, it's really hard. I haven't played a show since March. And that was most of my income. So that's a a big challenge, not just for me, but for everybody working in in the music business, not just the artists, but all the people that support the artists, you know, all the people that rig the shows up and run the sound and the lights and the venues and the venue owners and all that. The whole infrastructure has uh, been decimated this year. So when the pandemic happened and, and overnight you lost that livelihood, mm. how did you respond to that? Well, probably like everybody, just sat around and tried to figure out what to do. I mean, I still, I never stopped working. I, I would continue to write songs. And, and in fact, it did, there's always a silver lining. You know, I, I was working for the last three years on a on a record called Appalachia um, American Stories that I have just wasn't able to get done because I was traveling so much and, you know, playing shows all over the country. So because of the pandemic, I was able to get it done. It's it's 99 percent done right now. And so it's too late to release it this year, but I'll get it out in the spring of next year. And um, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And the way we did it was was also pretty 
uh, incredible. I've never done a record like this before. You know, normally you go into a studio with a bunch of other players and a producer and you, and you figure out your arrangements and then you play them, you know, and then you somebody presses record <laughs> and then it gets <laughs> mixed down and made into a record. But it, we just couldn't do that this year. So um, uh, we did it remotely. My producer uh, is in Nashville and most of the players are in Nashville. And most of the players also have just a little recording rig in their own house. You know, nothing special, just maybe a few channels. And that's all you really need. This is all acoustic instruments. So it's not like yeah. we need, you know, a mixing board with a thousand channels on it. You just need maybe two microphones and stick, stick them in front of a guitar or a fiddle or something. And as long as you have really good quality stuff in your house, which you can easily get today because of technology, we were able to use some, some other technology to, to, in real time, have them play and we you know we meaning me and the producer talk to them in real time you know in between takes and make suggestions okay i like the way you played the verse but can you you know uh, spice it up a little bit in the chorus or or whatever you know uh the way you the way you work when you're together in the same room yeah we did it remotely i'm a thousand miles away from nashville and we were able to cut the whole record using remote recording techniques like that so how does that start then? How do you how do you create emulate that same atmosphere that you have? Because I, I you know I'm a I'm a failed musician as most presenters and comedians do become. <laughs> you know they, they they become a presenter or a comedian or a writer or something else because they've tried to do the music and it it didn't work yeah. for them. And and I, I know how much of it is being in that space in that room with people mm-hmm, and is. and bouncing off of someone just having the guitar and riffing there and then and you're like yes let's do that and then let's sing over that bit and see how that goes yeah it was diff i will say it was not optimal i wouldn't want to do it this way but there was no other way to do it so what i did and i have a studio in my in my own house here where i'm sitting right now and i made some basic tracks uh that were just used as models for the players to play with Uh, because you can't just have the drummer play with no one else playing and then, and then a guitar player play with no one else playing. There needs to be, uh, you know, a foundation of, uh, upon which they will play. Ideally, they would be in the same room playing at the same time. That's the way you should do it. But this yeah. year it wasn't possible. And the technology is not there to have multiple people in different locations all playing in sync together. It's it's It will be there someday, but because of the latency, you know, the delay across the Internet, it's just not there. You need to have almost like virtually no latency, just a couple of milliseconds, something you can't even sense as a, as a human being. Otherwise, uh, you can't play together. It's not possible. So um, you can't play well together. Let me rephrase that. So <laughs> in my studio, I created some, some even dummy drum tracks and dummy this, and I played my guitar here and all that. And then we had a real drummer, an actual drummer in Nashville, uh, play over my parts and, and uh so you get the human feel with the groove. Yeah. And there's he had some instruments instruments to work off, too, that I played. And then we went to the next player, and he did his stuff. And then sh- the next player, and she did her stuff. Um, play, because you got to get that, you got to have that groove, you know, together, or wh- whatever, whatever the sense of the song is, whether it's one that has a push groove or it's laid back or metronomic or whatever. You don't want it to sound like it was done with computers, you know, then it doesn't feel like human beings played it. Even if it was human beings, you need to have that live liveness and liveliness that you that you get with uh, a real groove at the bottom end of the track. 
it would have been a whole lot easier to do it in the same room at the same time. And that's the way I plan to do it next time when all this is over. <laughs> but, but we got it done and it's, and it's, I can't wait for everybody to hear it. It really came out very, very well. When are you hoping to release that? I probably will wait. It depends a lot on the whole, you know, the whole virus thing and when the world starts to open up again. I assume it'll be next spring, you know, the spring of 21. I assume there, if I have to delay a little bit, I, I will. I think by next summer, everything should be fine. I really want to go out and play it for people. That's the point. That's really the only way to promote a record. If you just put it out there and you don't go play it or show it to anybody, uh, it's like dropping a rock into the deep end of the pool. There it goes. <laughs> right to the bottom. <laughs> of course, because they're, they're there for you, aren't they? They're there for that that connection that you give them. But your your music, I've listened to a lot of it um, in preparation for talking to you today. And and there's a real rustic purity to what you're doing in it. And it, it just, even if you're not in the room with you, you can you still like you're, you're you're still transported into that into the story that you're telling in your music and and that's that's really hard to do in a track yes it is and of course when i play live too i talk about the songs not too much i hope uh, but <laughs> that, that gets boring after a while when someone just talks they talk for 25 minutes and then they play a three minute song that's too much you need to have a balance there but at least to give some context to the song to set it up so that people understand it, it particularly because I the last few records I've done have been theme records where there is an overall theme to the whole all the songs they all fit into the theme in a certain way and some of them are very specific about events that happened in the past like my previous record was about about the Dust Bowl that happened in America in the 1930s and this one yeah. is about the Appalachian region of America particularly the central Appalachia like where Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia, Virginia and the Carol Western part of the Carolinas are the mountainous region where most of my ancestors uh, came over to, especially the ones from Scotland. They love the mountains. You know how ornery we are, we Scots people. And they, <laughs> they, they just love being alone. It reminded them of home and they were isolated and they liked it. And they, it's a beautiful area, by the way, it really is much like the Scottish Highlands are absolutely stunning to look at. They liked that. It was familiar to them. But it's also led to them, people like that in those areas, from being isolated from the rest of this country and uh, in some cases fallen behind. There's been a history of poverty and, you know, not so great education there compared to the rest of America. Not that the rest of America has a great education, but so imagine if it's worse. Um, and it's, it's kind of heartbreaking in some ways. But at the same time, it's a beautiful area and the people are, for the most part, wonderful people. And uh, it's a great story. There's a lot of stories in there. There's a lot of pathos in there. There's a lot of, you know. Yeah. You saw a lot of success and you, you saw some particular success around 2015 um, with Best Vocalist of the Month in the competition in 2016. You had Best Folk Artist, and then 2017, you got two Grammy participation certificates, which is huge. And obviously, with that album, Dust Bowl going into the Billboard Top 10 of albums for 17 weeks in 2017. How did it feel to have so much success with an album that you were so passionate about? That was really rewarding. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. There's a dichotomy between the art that we do and the business of music. It's, I always say that they're like two sides of the same coin. You've got the music on one side 
if you flip it over, there's the business of music. You know, the, the head of the coin, or the music side, the artistic side, is the passion side. That's, there's a lot of, that's where we have fun. That's why we do what we do. We insane musicians. We got to do that. It's, we just are addicted to playing music, to writing it, to performing it for people. And then there's the other side. And that's the side that most people are not good at. And I don't feel like I'm very good at it either because I haven't <laughs> made a whole lot of money. You know, I, I've, I always joke that I've made literally dozens of dollars in the music business. Uh, um, but you got to have both sides, otherwise you don't have a coin. So when you do have a convergence, when you do something that you're happy with artistically and that has really touched a lot of people who are from the region of the Dust Bowl, whose family went through it and all that, um, and it has some critical success, which it did have. I never got any bad reviews so far, so I guess I'm due. <laughs> I got really excellent reviews for Dust Bowl. And then, and of course, it was on Billboard, like you said, and won a bunch of contests and that kind of thing. That was nice. That was the first time I ever had that convergence of, you know, art and the business coinciding in a positive way. So I hope it happens again. Yeah, that's so sorry. The other thing that you, you have done and been a huge advocate for are for your veterans. And I know how, how important that is mm. in in such countries like the United States. Yeah. And with the particular song Man of Steel right. in 2018, another song you're so passionate about. Yeah. It seems in contrast, this one was, was, wasn't necessarily there to be successful. It was there because you really, you know, you were truly behind what you did and it was for something. It's for the National Veterans Foundation. Yeah, you know, that song just came about, like a lot of songs, most songs actually, by accident. I wasn't, I never try to write songs like professional songwriters. They, It's a job for them, just writing songs. And they make an appointment and they have an office and they sit there and write songs. But this one just came about, uh, I met a young man at an airport here in America um, and he had a, an artificial leg. He, he had been in the military, he just got out, he's quite young. And he was going somewhere same place i was going well at least one stop anyway and the plane got to be so late that we ended up t talking quite a bit uh, normally i don't talk you know that much at airport in an airport with someone i don't know but <laughs> it just we, it, the plane was so late that we ended up learning a lot about each other and i was just amazed by his his um, positive spirit because here he is in the prime of his life missing a, a big part of his body and he wasn't bitter about it he wasn't torn up about it he was so optimistic he was going to college. He was going to be the first person in his family to ever go to college uh, in his family's history. And he was wow. going to get married. And, you know, his whole life was ahead of him and he had no regrets at all. And um, I got home about a week and a half later and I just was messing around with the guitar and I started writing a song. And I realized almost immediately that it was about him. And so when it was done, and we recorded that one in, in Nashville and some of it in Texas, too. Um, then uh, I had a publicist at the time that, that approached the, the NVF, the National Veterans Foundation, like you said, and presented the song to them, and they were like, yeah, we want to use this as our official theme song. Riding dusty roads with my soldier
so uh, we we did that. And uh, you know, I don't make any money. And if people buy the song, I give the money to the National Veterans Foundation. Um, I think it's important to do that too. It's you know, it's great to make money. Uh, what little of it we do make in the music business, you know, unless you're a big star. Um, but it's also it's equally important to to give something back that makes that makes your music mean something. That and also giving something to people that have allowed you to to pursue your passion. Exactly. You know, without their veterans uh, putting themselves on the line, yours too, you know, we may not have the freedom. We would not have the freedom that, that we do. I'd be, who knows what I'd be doing, but I probably wouldn't be able to be making music. <laughs> so uh, not the music I want anyway. It's a beautiful example of selflessness. And and yeah, it's it's, it's amazing that, that they, they've taken that on. That must feel, feel truly inspiring that they were touched by the song so much that they wanted to make it their theme tune. Yeah. You know, I've played it at, um, we, we have the Veterans Administration here, which is a, a nationwide series of hospitals that are run by the government and then they're dedicated to four veterans only because they, you know, they have lots of issues, both physical and, you know, psychological. There's a big psychological impact when you see things that most people would never see and don't want to see, uh, especially and under the, such stress and such, you know, danger over a period of time. Um, I've played it at Veterans Administration hospitals and those kind of places, and I've just been so amazed, absolutely stunned when I play for them. And then afterwards, I talk to them, um, and they're in wheelchairs, and some of them can't even be in a wheelchair. They're in these roll-around beds that you know they kind of tip the back up so they can see. They can't even get out of that. And they're from the the couple were from the Korean War era. Uh, one guy was from World War II, most of them from the Vietnam era, and now the younger ones from the, the Gulf you know, War era. And they tell me, and they shake my hand with both of their hands, if they have two hands, and they look into my eyes, and some of them are crying, and they, and they thank me. And I just can't believe it. Why? Because I don't deserve to, <laughs> I don't deserve to be <laughs> thanked. I should be kissing their feet for what they did and the sacrifice that they made for all of us. And for me to go play them a few songs is no sacrifice at all, and I'm not in any danger. And so I, I, I'm so humbled by the fact that they would thank me that it uh, brings a tear to my eye just thinking about it. Yeah, sure. But music has that power to, to snap somebody out of that moment of depression, that moment of feeling like they're rock bottom and they can't get through the next part of their life because it yeah. seems too difficult. But a song can transport you from what seems impossible to just floods of inspiration and mm. and whilst whilst yes maybe you know well definitely serving in an army and and putting your life on the line and in some cases your limbs on the line for everyone else in the country is a much bigger action than someone writing a song and performing yes i don't underestimate the importance of music um for people's mental health yeah you just hearing you say that reminds me of even back hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe thousands, when armies would march into battle, they they had people playing instruments, you know, playing banging drums and playing flutes and fifes and bagpipes and trumpets and you name it, to, because it's rousing to people. It inspires you to f feel better. That's why music is such a part of our life. Have you, I, by the way, I've done some movie scoring, you know, writing the music that's in the background for movies. And I've so I've seen lots of movies without any music in them. And I can tell you that they are not good to watch. 
<laughs> that is yeah. so true. It's so true. There and and you know you don't want to overdo it with music, but no. when that when that song comes in at the right point in a movie with what you're seeing and the emotion that's been built over the mm. time, an actor doesn't even have to show any tears. An actor doesn't even have to show any sort of emotion. They just stare blankly mm-hmm. into space, and the music does the rest for you. Exactly, it heightens emotions. And like you say, you shouldn't do too much of it. People shouldn't notice the music. It should just carry. It should just help to underscore the, the you know, the emotions that are there. How different is producing music for a film score to writing something to release on one of your albums? I think the the doing movies is a whole lot easier, even though it's a lot more work because it's a lot of music. You know, some movies have forty, fifty minutes of music in them or more, and um, that's a lot of work. But but it's I think it's easier in a way because if you're writing songs, um, you have to think of everything. It's a blank piece of paper that you have to fill up with something. What what do you write a song about? You know, what what should it be like? What should it sound like? Whereas when you do a movie or a TV show, you you have the movie. There it is. You can see it, and it's almost obvious what you should do. Now it's a matter of choosing your melodies and that kind of things and and your rhythm and, and all that. But you know what it should feel like just instinctively because we've all seen a million movies and TV shows. And so when you see one without it, you go, oh, we got to have music right there. And it should feel kind of uh, slowly building up to an emotional uh, height. You know, by the end of the scene, it should feel maybe a little tense, but not too tense. And then release it, release the tension at the end in some way. You just sort of know what to do because you've seen so many movies before. And almost the music almost writes itself in a way. Yeah, you don't need you don't need to write the story. You don't need to take people on a journey. You just you just add the mood and the emotion to what people are seeing. Yeah, it's funny. Like I say, though, on the other hand, it's a lot more work because it's not a four minute song. It's like a forty minute song. <laughs> so it's a lot more, and it can't just be one thing all the way through, like a song. A typical song is it's you, you you have to use all the colors of the orchestra and there are many different moods in most movies being part of the american roots music and and using a, a guitar as one of your instruments how much are you musically talented in the sense musically trained sorry in reading music well i trained myself in that because i i never took oh. any music lessons but i realized after maybe four or five years that i really needed to know how to read music and i needed to understand music theory so uh, I just did. I got back then. There was no internet <laughs> that you could access, <laughs> so I yeah. I went to the library and I got books and I and I read and I, I sort of understood it to begin with just from doing it. I taught myself how to play guitar and piano at the same time, and I actually thought that was easier because I could compare one to the other. It gave me a frame of reference. So learning the actual theory and then learning how to read music and write music um, wasn't that hard. It just took a lot of doing. That was that was like forty years ago, and now I'm now I'm really bad at it. I'm bad at writing, reading music in real time and playing it because I just never do it. I, I just I write my own stuff and I memorize it and I practice all the time. So I don't I don't need to write down every note I play. I I can write the chord names down and 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 remember all all the what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. The, the reason I ask is because I can imagine it's a slightly different discipline in terms of the skills that you need to do to do a film score mm. as opposed to sitting there with a the guitar and jamming until you come up with something. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's a, a film score is I, I when I think of the word like the word film score, I see a long, a huge long strip of paper with <laughs> yeah. music notes on that has to last 40 minutes. Whereas yeah. when I see somebody producing like a folk song, I see I see exactly your picture, you know, with, <laughs> with your yeah. with your hat on and your guitar <laughs> and, and a microphone, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and also there's a different level of um understanding you have to have to do a film score you have to be able to uh, assuming you're doing an orchestral score which is mostly what i've done i mean there are other types too you don't have to use a whole orchestra but i like that um you have to understand you know what what the orchestra is what it's composed of instrument wise and how the instruments are used and what they do and what they really can't do and how they work together and that's that's pretty complex um just you really have to have a real understanding of the whole orchestra, um, and I think I do to some extent. I have some friends who are amazing film. Compo- that's what they do for a living, and they know more about it than I do. But I know enough to to do what I can hear in my in my head, and um, I like doing it. I haven't done a film score in a while. I would like to do one again. I've just been this would have been a good year to to do them since I was yeah. couldn't go out and play shows. But I, I filled my time with plenty of other projects. I'm sure, yeah. And one of your other strings to your bow, and it, you alluded to it earlier that you you don't just do music, and you you were the owner of a company called Duotron American, mm-hmm. um, Incorporated, and you, you produced um, tech for NASA. Yeah. I mean, going from being on stage by night and then by day creating stuff that NASA use. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, one. There's a huge divide between what you're doing. A huge you have to make a huge amount of ground to place mm. those two together. Yeah, but one seems a lot more technical than the other, in the sense that music is a it feels it always feels like a creation. Maybe not so much in a film score. That sounds mm. that feels more of a technical kind of a mathematical process. So I just wonder what you. Well, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. Sorry for interrupting your question, but I know where you were going with that. And like, how do you resolve the the, the, the big dichotomy between two very different disciplines, one of being in business, basically, but a very, very technical business at that. Um, and then on the other hand, being an artsy musician, you know, playing and I'll tell you one thing, play, being a musician is a lot more fun. Although I did have <laughs> I did have fun at work, too, many times, you know, and it, it is I just I like to use my whole brain, you know, and although I will say in the music side. When you when you do like I I produce a lot of my own stuff, and I have a studio, and that's that's also very technical. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of mathematics involved in that too. Not so much as in the job I had, but um, I like them both. They're, they're like it's like the music business, you know, the two sides of the coin. It's kind of the same thing, and maybe the two sides of of the brain, one the one the the left side and the other the right side. I, I always enjoyed it. In the last, um, I mean, I sold that company in 2007, but I still worked there for, you know, more years than that. Um, and I, I finally left about, that's uh, going on four years now. And even in the last few years when I was working there, I, would, I, would, I was playing shows. Before that, I really wasn't. I was working in my studio and I would do all, that's when I did all those movie things in those years where I wasn't really performing. Um, but then when, when my role there got, because I sold the company, my role, I began to, you know, phase my, I phased myself out of the company over a period of time. 
and I was I just had a lot more time to focus on the music and and so I did and uh, now it's been like I said almost four years and and uh, really enjoyed really enjoyed being able to totally focus on music and not have to go to work <laughs> it's, it's intriguing for me because because as somebody who is building trying to build a career in the entertainment world and you know very early stages I'm 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 29, so it's very much young years in terms of trying to build. Um, and one, of, obviously, one of the dilemmas I'll have at some point is is when does when does the hobby, when does the talent become the day job or the thing that you wake up doing rather than the thing that you try and fit in around stability? Yeah. Was it passion that kept you in that role, or because I just imagine I can just imagine you thinking about wanting to do music mm-hmm. at that time and that gradual phasing out of the company, was that all in, in support of that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could still be there working and making a whole lot more money, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to get too old to make a, a real run at doing music as my, as my dream, you know, as my life. And so I'm, I'm lucky that I've been able to do that the last uh, four years full time. It is difficult. I mean, it was a hard thing, you know, when I was younger, when I had to, I got a day job just to kind of pay the bills, you know, when I was a musician, when I was younger as a musician. Uh, And that day job turned into a whole career (laughs) somehow, (laughs) which lasted, you know, until four years ago. So it lasted a long time. And it, you know, it put kids through college and it paid for the house that that I live in here with my wife. And it made all things possible. And, um, no, it's a good thing I don't want to be a rock and roll star. (laughs) <laughs> too old for that <laughs> in addition to not really being interested in it anymore <laughs> so. it is it is rather funny to watch um tom jones <laughs> <laughs> yeah doing, doing his um his swing stuff that he yeah his you know his hip movements that he was so famous for and everything <laughs> like that it's, but he's still he's still a star I'm, I'm convinced they keep him in a an incubator and just release him <laughs> for the voice once a year in the uk <laughs> be that good welsh air yeah but i think i also think that the, you know the music that you're doing grows more distinctive and, and more poignant as you age anyway yeah exactly my kind of music especially well probably everywhere but definitely here is not a kind of music for that necessarily requires you to be young at all it's not pop music at all where you have to be young it's um at least unless you were already a star, you know, like like Mick Jagger. 50 years ago, you were already a star doing rock and roll or pop music or whatever. Okay, then now you're you're still Mick Jagger. You can still go out there. People might snicker a little bit, but you're still Mick Jagger at the end of the day. And you're rich yeah. and famous. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I forgot where I was going with that. But in, in my kind of music, yeah, age doesn't really matter. There's lots of stars like Willie Nelson who are 80, 90 years old. And there's... Still going, Dolly Parton. I don't know how old she is, but she's got to be in her late 70s. And she's still as fantastic as she was uh, 50 years ago. One of the best songwriters that ever was, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think also with American Roots, I've always seen it as this almost wise person sings a song that tells a story. Do you know what I mean? That, that, yeah. that comes with age. Respect, you know, you earn respect with age and and you know american roots and, and country music is always singing about the bigger issues and you trust what they're singing about and if you're a you know a 15 year old singing that no one believes what you're talking about <laughs> i so. know i know we've got these britain's got talent america america's got talent you see these little kids come out they're 12 years old 
and they start singing the blues like he left me and like what <laughs> you don't you don't know what that feels like <laughs> you don't know yeah, yeah. you don't know what heartbreak is and you know stuffing out a cigarette at three in the morning in a bar <laughs> somewhere <laughs> i hope you don't know what that's like at 12 years old if you if you do you need to have Sort yourself out. <laughs> you better get out of the get out of the entertainment business right now. <laughs> definitely, definitely, there'll always be that audience that's there for you because they they love that music. And you know, sometimes it might not be pop music that reaches you know a billion people, but mm-hmm. it's, it's better to have an audience that love everything you do than an audience that are, yeah, it's all right. Exactly, and they're not fickle because the pop audiences are are very fickle. No, they're very oh, young, yeah. and so they they have passions that come and go like the changing of a stoplight you know want that one particular performer super hot and then two years later no one remembers who they were so there's a lot more stability in my kind of music that's for sure yeah absolutely and you mentioned a little bit with your family about how that you know put your children through college and and obviously supported your family for many years with it with a day job um how influential was your wife on your decision to to take that leap into becoming a working musician? Well, I think, well, she supported me. She, I mean, she knew, she's known me for a long time. And she knew that this was an important passion for me, that this was something I had to do, or, I, or I'd always reg- regret it. You know, and she didn't want to be responsible for that. So uh, I have to give her credit for that. Because stupidest idea in the whole world to try to go into the entertainment business. <laughs> the, you know, the, the return on investment is uh, almost, the, the odds of succeeding are really against you. doesn't mean that, I mean, everybody should try it. If that's your passion, you should definitely do it. Um, as long as you're realistic about it. And so I, I think I'm realistic about it. I mean, if I was losing money hand over fist, I wouldn't do it because I would, I would be taking that money away from my family, which I would not want to do. If I can just break even, <laughs> I feel like I'm not being a bad father or being a bad, you know, family member. But I'm sure, I'm sure they wouldn't see it like that. I'm sure they would see that they they want their father or their their husband to to be to be happy and to be doing what you, you love doing because ultimately at the end of at the end of our lives, we don't regret the things we did. We often regret the things we didn't do. Right. And that's really poignant because you can't change that. Those, those, that time is gone and it does not come back. Yeah. So before before all of this happened with us, with COVID-19 and, and the pandemic and everything, you know, you saw some great success and you had some big, big plans um, for actually next year and, and this year. Obviously, they got taken away from you. Yeah. Tell me about how it felt to perform and make your debut at Carnegie Hall in 2018. Wow. That was probably the highlight of my live performances that I've done. I've done hundreds of them over the years, and that was definitely, I think it has to be the highlight. I can't think of one that's better. <laughs> because, you know, everyone's heard of Carnegie Hall. It's it's a, a very famous venue that so many amazing artists have uh, have played at. And um, to play that, to play there and have, you know, the, it was a full house that night too. And, you know, to have people standing up at the end and clapping, boy, I just, I made a joke afterwards when it, when the, when all the applause died down, this is at the end of the show. And I, my wife was out there in the audience 
and I said, wow, I just got a standing ovation at Carnegie Hall. And uh, my wife is probably wondering where I'm going to find another cowboy hat big enough to put over this head. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said it more eloquently that night, but that was true. That, that, I, I think I rode on that high for a few weeks <laughs> after <laughs> it was over. And the thing is, this past April, um, I was supposed to play again, but of course canceled because of COVID. Uh, but we will reschedule it. We're looking at either this coming April, but they may not be open yet. So it might even be a whole other year away in 2022. We'll, we'll see. I'll, fi I'll find out soon. But you clearly had a massive impact on them at the time. Otherwise, they wouldn't have rebooked you and you know you wouldn't have had that later date for April. So, so you've seen that breakthrough in your career with, with it and, and hopefully that will last and, and, be, and be fruitful in the future for you. Yeah, I hope so. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to get onto this song because this is one of the things that inspired me and I know that it inspired um, the founder of Star Events Online to get in contact with you. In a time that, you know, the world seems so divided without going into detail what, what it is, but with so much negativity and things that have plagued our globe over the last couple of years with uh, huge cracks in society and things. One of your songs and one of my favorite songs that you've written is we will stay together and you know you, you wrote and performed it and as part of the pandemic as part of your ongoing passion to give something to people and to give people belonging to bring people together you decided to get your friends at your indie collaborative that you're a founder of co-founder of a hundred of them to produce a new version of that song tell me about that yeah well that was the most fun I had this year, I think. Um, I wrote a song several years ago, this song I wrote, um, We'll Stay Together, specifically for the group, The Indie Collaborative, which, as you mentioned, I co-founded um, back in 2015 with Eileen Sherman. And, you know, we, we she's a, a musical theater lyricist in New York City. That's what she does. So we're, we're very different in terms of our musical backgrounds and sensibility. The musical theater is very different from, you know, American roots music. Uh, but, you know, it's all music and we had lots of mutual friends. And, you know, like when we go to the Grammys or other events like that, uh, a lot of us indies met up with each other. And then we started having uh, groups on Facebook where we could stay in touch, even though we're spread out over this whole continent. And, and in fact, around the world, you know, we've got members in, in the UK and all over Europe and in India and Asia and Oceania and uh, in China and Japan and so on. Uh, of course, Canada and South America as well. <laughs> well, I should I should have just said the whole world, except for we don't have anybody in, in Antarctica. <laughs> so there's no penguins in our group or research scientists at all. <laughs> but but every other continent, we, we have members and we have about 2000 members at this point. But we just we decided we wanted to create a way to get together outside of these events. And so we just put on an event in New York five years ago and we didn't know if anybody would even show up. But. We did, just like a little impromptu, almost like a, an open mic, but just for us musicians, you know, no audience aside from ourselves, inside baseball kind of a thing, as we would say over here. <laughs> um, or in, maybe it's inside cricket over there. Yeah, just the, yeah. It's just the, the team playing, just the team involved, you know. So, so one thing led to another, and that was a big success, and, and uh, we had more events. We've had them. Uh, in New York many times and in, in Los Angeles many times and we've done them in other cities all around America um, 
and we have a private Facebook group and there's also a Facebook page and all that and a website. And so when we do these shows, we wanted to have a song that we all sang together at the end of the show. So that's why I wrote that song to be kind of like an anthem for us to sing at the end of our shows that we put on. And so I wanted to make the chorus very kind of easy to remember and catchy and, you know, easy to sing for everybody. Even if you just heard it once, you know, you could, you could sing it. So even in our programs that we printed for our, for our events, I would put the lyrics on the back so everybody could. And we've had, you know, hundreds of people singing it all together. <laughs> of course, they're all musicians, so that, that helps. <laughs> but, uh, but then uh, because of COVID this year, uh, we, we couldn't do our show. Um, well, we couldn't do the Carnegie Hall show, which was going to be an indie, indie collaborative show. And then we couldn't do uh, another indie collaborative event, which we normally do in August in New York City. And so uh, Eileen and I got the idea to take this song and produce a version of it with and invite all of our members or as many of them who wanted to participate to uh, sing or play an instrument, whatever they do, and send it to me, send a recording. And, uh, you know, because everybody's in their house and most of us have some kind of recording equipment. It doesn't have to be a whole studio, but maybe just a little digital recorder that you can put in front of your trumpet or your whatever. And that everybody's got a phone where you can record a pretty good quality video these days. So I started getting uh, people sending me in tracks of them singing and then playing different parts of the song. created a basic track, just a real simple template with the drums, a drum kit and the bass, and I played one electric guitar. That just was the foundation. Um, and I had different versions of it. So if someone was a drummer, I gave them a version without the drums, but just like a click track that they could play along with and to not be, you know, uh, messed up by hearing another, another drummer playing. And I got altogether about 75 different people sent me tracks to play. And then another 20 or 30 people sent just videos of yeah. them, you know, singing the song, that kind of thing. And so so uh, I, I sat here for probably two weeks in, in my studio here going through all these tracks. It was the biggest musical or, or well recording project I was ever involved in. I mean, I've done things with, you know, orchestral scoring where you've got, you know, 50 or 60 tracks, you know, because you put maybe 40 mics across the top of an orchestra and that kind of thing. But this was bigger than that. And also, you know, people just kind of did what they wanted. And so I, it was an enormous task to, to figure out what to use and where to use it. And I wanted to include everybody in it. And, and I included absolutely everybody. And um, we had people from England. We had people from all over the world, all over Europe, all over Asia, contributing tracks to it, India, um, Sweden, you name it. So that was a, a huge undertaking, but got it done. And then the bigger project started where I took that song and dropped it into uh, my video editing software and then started taking all their video contributions and uh, yeah. assembling the video that you've seen on YouTube. And uh, that was e equally daunting task. But you know what? That we had 
nothing to do in, in during this time because of COVID. And it was, I'm very proud of the way it turned out. And I think it, it sends, sends the right message. Like you said at the beginning, it's, there's been so much strife because of COVID and there's been a lot of strife in the USA, politically speaking. <laughs> uh, and it still is, <laughs> but it was at its, at its apex back in the summer with a bunch of rioting and protestings, etc. A lot of uh, angst over here. And I don't like to perpetuate that. I'd rather do something that makes people feel better. And this is the right message, you know. Let, we, need to, we need to be one country and not be yelling at each other. We need to talk to each other. And if you disagree, that's fine. You know, the founding fathers of the USA all disagreed. But they worked together until they hammered out the framework of, of our the way our government works. Why we can't disrespect that by just punching each other in the nose every time we don't like what someone else says or thinks. And um, and also just to, the whole thing with COVID, you know, it's it's been in a lot of anguish for yeah. a lot of people. It's been very depressing. It has been for me. You know, it's it's tough not to go out and play shows since March. 15th <laughs> it's really been no fun not to be able to do that what i love to do so much but anyway i hope i hope your listeners will go out and find the video we'll stay together and and watch it i think it'll make make you feel better you had a huge reaction and it's a phenomenal song and and something that i really enjoyed listening to it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful beautiful song and i think now more than ever with with covid you know it's a global effort. It's a global thing, and you 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 mentioned there that you know you had a global contribution from people that that contributed to it. So I think that represents so much more than than just you know your country being together. It's it's the whole world that should be together on this because we're fighting this one enemy. And I right. think, and I know in 2015 yes. when when you set up right. the Indie Collaborative, you had no idea that we'd be going through what we're going through now. But it's ever present and it's ever relevant, and I think right. I think it is a beautiful song, and I do also urge the listeners to go out and and check that out because it's a beautiful song and it's something that it will move you because you see that 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 unity from you know a hundred different people from different locations all contributing to one thing. Yeah, and you're right. It's it is definitely a, a global thing, and we are all facing the same travail here because of this virus, and. Uh, Boy, we need we we never needed to be together so much as we do today. Absolutely, and I hope I hope it's songs like that, and I hope it's conversations like this that inspire people to, to you know to continue being creative. You mentioned there that taking your entire livelihood away from you at the at the you know the dawn of the pandemic, and it's you know seems to be extending for all of us even further than we than we thought it may have done. But you but you've responded in the most positive way, and I think I think that's something to behold. Mm, thank you. It really was a labor of love, and. I would do it again. I, I wouldn't like to because it's so much work. But but at the same time, you know, nothing that was really worth it wasn't a lot of work. You know, it's the, the putting that effort into it and struggling and finally achieving it is its own reward. And a lot of uh, some of the young people don't <laughs> understand that. Maybe they, maybe we spoiled them. We older people spoiled them. <laughs> we just gave them everything, and they never really had to work for anything. But it wasn't that way when I grew up. I had to work for everything. No one gave me a, a thing. And I was eight years old out, you know, mowing people's grass and shoveling snow and raking leaves and all that. 
if I wanted to go out and buy myself some records, that's what I had to do. Or, or if I wanted <laughs> yeah. to have a bicycle, I had to do that. No, that's so true, and and so much, <laughs> so much is available so quickly to people, isn't it? Uh, the, the click of a button, you type something into Google, and you can pretty much. Mm. But then, then again. <laughs> without without the internet you wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to bring that song to so many different people and that's true you know you, you're using it for the the platform that is needed to and it's connected us globally and if you're using it positively then then hopefully one day we'll have there will be this platform that everyone goes on and they just get or maybe it is star events online maybe exactly what we're doing with meet the stars and everything else and, and you being on this podcast is yeah something that that is a very positive environment, and uh, you know, I, it's, it's uh, lovely to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. And you guys are doing the right thing with the internet. You really are. <laughs> I should have, I should have given you some kudos before, but you're absolutely right. You're doing the right thing. You're, you're, all your shows are positive, and they're just trying to help people. And that's uh, that that's having a heart in the right place. I could talk to you for hours, but I I feel like we've come to the natural end, and I think that's a really beautiful way to leave it. And just creating this positive space out there, where, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you have access to, just create create something that's going to breed love and, yeah. and happiness. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Music is one of those things. They call it the universal language, and you know, we've touched on that in a few in a few ways in this interview with its ability to reach people's emotions and elicit them and make people feel better. Um, even sad songs make you feel better because you realize you're not alone if you're sad. Someone else went through the same thing or something similar. Thank you for having me on today, and uh, thank you to all your listeners for, for being here. I really appreciate it. It's, the pleasure's all ours and, and you know it's been an amazing chat I'm sure the, the listener agrees with that too I guess finally where can people find out more about you and more importantly where can they hear your music well the easiest way is to go to my website um, which is my three names <laughs> just like my mother used to yell at me when I did something wrong she'd say Grant Malloy Smith get over here but Malloy only has one L so it's Grant and then M-A-L-O-Y Smith dot com if you go there that's where you can go to everywhere else. You can click, you can watch videos, you can hear music, you can you could buy songs, you can <laughs> buy my next record, even though it's not out yet. You can order it in advance. <laughs> and uh, and then you'll get, by the way, if they order in advance before the middle of next month or the middle of December, um, I'll put their name inside the record. It'll be printed inside there in the, in the liner notes for, for being a, an early contributor to the record. In addition to, you know, of course, you'll get a copy. <laughs> but in addition to that, your name will be inside it forever <laughs> yeah i'll have the music too please <laughs> <laughs> yes of course <laughs> but it's just grant com. you can put hyphens between the three names or you don't have to it'll fill it in for you if you don't do it yeah i look forward to hearing your track and your new album and and seeing everything you do in the future oh thank you so much luke wow what an amazing person Grant really is. I had an amazing time talking to him and I absolutely love his music and I strongly advise you to go and check his music out too, especially if you're really into country and folk music. He has teamed up with Star Events Online to put together the Christmas Music Festival. So just run over to the events page and you can go and have a look at that. And of course, if you've missed any of them, you can also go and have a look at the back catalogue. So that's worth doing too. And if you'd like to find out more about Grant Molloy Smith, his website and all of his social medias are in the show notes next week and the last episode of this year i'll be speaking to santa claus himself so why not pour a nice mulled wine and sit down with the children and listen to my conversation with santa claus take care 
Stay safe and I'll speak to you next week.